Welcome to The Morning Crew, a grief podcast hosted by three gals in their mid-20s. Here, talking about grief is completely normal and a part of our everyday life. So grab a cup of coffee or a drink. Grief conversations can actually be that casual. So let's talk about it. everybody. We are so excited to have a very, very special guest today, Kelsey's dad, Mr. Rothhouse. Um, I'm going to quickly just jump to Kelsey so that she has the honor of introducing him. And we are just so excited and so lucky to have him as our guest today. Yes, so exciting. We had Kylie and now we get dad, the full Rothhouse family package. But no, we're Something that my dad and I have talked about, obviously he's been a big supporter of the podcast since the beginning. And of course, we've been going through all of this so closely together. And of course, he has a unique perspective as a partner and as a father of daughters and is very eloquent. So we're just excited to have him on. And I'm excited to listen to your answers as we handled with Kylie. We'll kind of have Mads and Kath just being fresh perspectives, mostly handle asking the questions. And of course, I'm here to jump in, but thank you, dad. And we are excited to have you. And it's fun for me to see you meeting Kathy and Mads. That's, that's great, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, first, I just wanted to set the record straight on one thing that I think we have to apologize for, which is um, insulting Geminis and some of our <laughs> Gemini parents. So I really wanted to start off with that and just say not all Geminis are made equal. And from what we've heard, you sound like an amazing father and person. So I really just hope you don't take that too personally. I know some crazy Geminis myself, and I was probably projecting that. Well, I appreciate it. Apology accepted. There was something about Geminis not being dependable. It just jumped out at me. And I was just like, well, wait, hang on. Hold on here. So, but uh, we're all good. Yeah. I needed to uh, clear the air before we got into anything today. So that was my first point. But first, we just also, we wanted to know just, you know, where you grew up, um, what age you are today, what's been your favorite kind of place you've lived in so far. Just take us through the basics um, career-wise, where you've landed, where you've been, and all of that good stuff. Okay, sure. So I grew up uh, early in New York. So I lived in in New York till I was about eight. Then we moved to Southern California, LA, till I was 18. Uh, Then went to college, uh, both at Arizona State and San Diego State. And then I was lucky enough out of school to get a job. I was interested in being a sportscaster and landed a job as a television sportscaster right out of college. Two days after graduation, I was on the air uh, up here in Monterey, Salina, Santa Cruz area is where where I started. And and, uh, certainly living here on the Monterey Peninsula, I live in Salinas. This is the favorite place I've ever lived. And uh, yeah, so worked, uh, started working at the TV station. Um, I'm 58 now. And I, I was a sportscaster only for about 12 years. And then now I'm a pharmaceutical sales rep. So uh, things things definitely changed. I needed something more family friendly. Do you have one preference over one job or the other now that you've done two very different things? Ah, that's a good question. I mean, I certainly had fun. I mean, it was a fun job being on the news and being on TV and getting... I certainly miss that press pass of being able to get into any game, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> I definitely miss that. Um, but... Uh, the job I have now, the career I have now, allowed me to 
be a good family man, allowed me to be home and be able to support my family properly. So, uh, you know, the priorities changed, I guess, ultimately is what happened. And, and so it, I landed in a good spot. Well, speaking of priorities, we want to hear a little bit about how you met Mrs. Rothhouse, um, Carrie, how your relationship unfolded a little bit, how you knew that she was the one, um, and just about your relationship, the wedding, all of it. Oh, sure. So, it, you know, it, it, right up to that story. So I got the job uh, doing TV and I went from one station in town to another station. And the first day at the second station, uh, you know, your first day of your new job, you, you're supposed to go fill out your W-2s. And I was walking into the back of the station and that's where Carrie came walking the other way. And we totally caught eyes. And uh, I, I, the, the guy I was with recognized that I was like a thunderbolt hit me. And I, I joked, I like the view coming and I like the view going. <laughs> and, and we, we, Definitely connected. And then on the Friday, there was like what they call Pi Day. They uh, once a month to celebrate everyone's birthday, uh, they have like a little Pi Day celebration. And so in there, I, you know, went up and introduced myself and made my move and started talking. She was seeing somebody else at the time, but convinced her, you know, her future lied elsewhere. And, <laughs> and so she, she, broke, she broke it off with the other, the other very nice gentleman who's actually a super nice guy and no and, and know him well. He's very nice. And then uh, we we started up a, a you know a hot and heavy relationship. You know, it was I don't want to embarrass my daughter, but it was a physical attraction. Were you guys coworkers then? We were, but in a different. I worked in the newsroom, so and my and my hours were afternoons and evenings because I was on live on the news, and she was in sales. She was selling ad time. So she worked more during the day. So there's only a couple hours of the day that we were at the same place. Did your coworkers know that you guys were seeing each other? Everybody knew we were seeing each other. <laughs> I, I'd leave her little notes on her desk and little gifts on her desk. Oh my gosh. And so it was, it was, it was a very, I, I'd come walking back into the sales and I could see all the other gals kind of smile and turn away and they knew why, why I was coming. So, uh, yeah, so we, um, we, we courted and dated. Um, we did have one little blip. We dated for about 11 months. And like most uh, young you know, guys in their 20s, I, was, I blew it. I was stupid. And I broke it off because if you get to a year, that means you're, that's it. You're committed and you're going. And so my gut instinct was to break it off. And shortly before or shortly after I broke it off, I realized what a stupid mistake I'd made. And I regretted it. And uh, my my oldest, dearest friend, he told me, go ask her to lunch. You blew it. Go ask her to lunch and ask for forgiveness. And I did. And we met at a little park and we sat uh, and she never went back to work. We talked the rest of the day and aired it all out and got back together. And actually, that spot in the park when uh, uh, we were living together later and I left a note on the door, meet me at the park where we made up. And she knew where to go. And that's where I proposed. Oh, my gosh. That's so sweet. Wow. We've literally just went full circle with all of our questions also. You're such a legend. <laughs> you cut me off if I talk too much. But anyway, so that was that was our that was our courtship. And anyway, we had big wedding, uh, like 300 and something people. Big wedding. Carrie was a third daughter. And her folks had said, uh, her dad said, all the people that didn't make the cut for the first two weddings, everybody gets to come to the third. We had a big, <laughs> big wedding, beautiful wedding in, in Carmel Valley. And uh, it was it was a, just a dream wedding. And 
to, you know, to this day, happiest day of my life. And going back to the proposal. So how did you, I mean, obviously you had that blip, you realized, you know, maybe you, you couldn't see your life without her, but was there ever a moment, like a specific moment that you knew, like this was the person you were going to spend the rest of your life with or wanted to? You know, it's, it, it's a, it's an odd story. It's a funny story. So we were, we, we were seeing each other all the time and we weren't officially living together yet, but I, we were quasi living together. I, I basically went back to my place to change clothes, but we were at her place all the time and I got sick. I got the flu really, really bad. And I was on her couch and just sick as a dog. And Carrie did this incredible job of taking care of me. And there was something in me when I was lying there, just as sick as I could be, just like, I got to marry this girl. She seen me at my absolute worst. And she was just an angel taking care of me like this. And there was just something in the back of my head that said, you, you better marry this girl. And how long after that did you propose? Um, we committed to live together first. Um, I come from divorced parents. And I needed that step before I was comfortable. So we did agree to live together, but it was interesting because we had sort of a, a goal of like, it wasn't open-ended. We'd live together for a year. And at the end of the year, if everything's good, we're going to go ahead and get engaged and get married. It wasn't like an open, we're just going to live together perpetually. So that was sort of our, our compromise. But uh, two months in, I knew. And I went to her dad and I said, because uh, they had had a little trepidation about us living together without being married. And so I went to her dad and I said, look, I have a family diamond. Can you help me figure out how to get this made into a ring? I want to propose. And so then he and I formed a little project together. And anyway, that's how we got the ring made. And so, and that's, uh, that's when I left her the note, meet me at the park where we made up. And that's where I proposed. So sweet. And I love that you also obviously included her dad and I'm sure um, he respected and appreciated that as well. Um, and speaking of dads, so you mentioned, obviously, we, we went, got to the wedding. It was a great day. When did you decide that you wanted to become parents? How shortly after that? It was certainly part of the discussion before we got married. You know, it wasn't just, okay, we're just getting married. We talked about both very much wanting children and wanting to have a family. And that was a huge priority uh, for both of us. So we talked about it forever. And the agreement that we just wasn't agreement. We just kind of thought, okay, let's be married a year and then we'll try, you know, let's be a couple first before we're a group. And so that was kind of it. We were, we were married for a year, started trying. It seems funny now. It, it took us like, I don't know, five months to get pregnant, which seems like nothing now, but at the time it seemed like a long time. And uh, when I was on the news, right. So I'd have the early news and then I'd come home for dinner and then I'd go back to work to do the late news. And I came home for a dinner break and, um, and Carrie's like, yeah, cooking dinner. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, you want to see what I'm cooking? And I go, sure. And she pulled the lid off the pot and it was a positive pregnancy test. Oh, I love, you guys have such sweet, like surprises in the way that you tell each other all these things. It's like a movie. I feel like I'm listening to like a (laughs) rom-com. And there was a lot of hugging and kissing and Aww. excitement. And we were, we just couldn't be more excited about being parents. And that excitement never dwindled a bit. Okay. And be honest, did you want a boy or a girl or did you really have no desire and it, it just up to chance? People ask me that all the time because I'm a big sports guy and all that kind of stuff. Oh, you must have wanted a boy kind of a thing. We really didn't. We really were very much, we just wanted whatever we, we wanted. 
and uh, we were just blessed with the two greatest girls, kids ever. And uh, I've never at one time, one second ever felt like I missed out on anything by having girls instead of boys. Um, well, speaking of your girls, I want to know that, you know, we know you've got the Kelsey, the Kylie, the Ken, the Carrie. Was this um, was this a choice that you guys made together? <laughs> it's, uh, it, I know, it's a it's funny one. Um, <laughs> it, 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 you know, obviously Ken and Carrie just met, yeah. so it was just happened to be our names. And we did not go into Kelsey planning a K name. We just were going through books of names and throwing things around and finally came up with with that we like the name Kelsey and that's how that settled. I will say for Kylie, like we're going for the next one. Okay. Now we're going to stay consistent. Now we're all going to be K's all the way through. So for cut, it was going to be Kylie or Kyle. And that was going to be the the next K name. And actually one of our Christmas ornaments is a K. So it, it certainly became a thing for us. Love that. Do you think Kylie would have liked being a Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She used to try to convince <laughs> us to have another one because she wanted a little, a little brother, a little something like that. So maybe there would have been, but we were, we were, we were happy with our, our, our two. That's a good question. Kelsey, did you ever feel like you wanted a brother? We went through this phase together where we decided having a little brother would be really fun and cute. And we like really tried to convince them, but they had fully already decided, I think, pretty quickly <laughs> that they only wanted two. And the phase, the phase passed. Also, you said you were you were happy with your two. I know and love both your daughters, and I'm happy with your two your two as well. You guys did such a great job and, and I, I love uh. them both and I love to keep up with them both. So kudos to you, Dad. Now we have the chance to say it. I fully agree. Thank you. Thank you. No, I always feel like Carrie and I did something right. <laughs> and I think Kelsey has kind of mentioned this in the past um, about kind of your approach to parenting and how it was a little like strategic in certain times or ways. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that and just like how you both approached parenting, maybe if there were ever any differences in style or anything like that, or kind of like what you aligned on? Yeah, great question. So, um, we were very thoughtful as parents. Um, I, I'm not knocking anybody else's parental style. Everyone's got to do what they've got to do. But we would talk to a lot of other couples our age who were having kids and they were just like, you know, if the kid's fed and they're going to sleep and they, you know, they're, you know, doing their homework and the rest of it will sort of take care of itself. And Carrie and I were not like that at all. We were very thoughtful about everything that was coming up, whether it was, uh, you know, a first day of school or a first day of nursery school or, you know, just whatever it was, friends, this friend coming into the world or this activity that was coming up, we were just very thoughtful about things. And we, we talk things out. You know, that's one of the, one of the many things I miss a lot. Carrie and I used to talk about the girls ad nauseum. We would just really dive into, God, they're doing well in this class, or, you know, maybe this could be a stressful situation. What could we do to kind of, what if we went the day before to make sure they saw the classroom first and then they'd be comfortable on the first day? You know, we just, we always talk things through and talk them out. We were just very thoughtful about the whole thing. And then you talked about where we, did we ever disagree? It was actually, we, we, our parenting skills complemented each other. We were not identical as parents. We were very different in a lot of ways. I was, I guess you'd say, kind of the big picture guy, meaning of life, moral of the story, uh, life lesson, um, you know, discipline when needed, which was rare. That was sort of my role. And then there are a million details 
that go into raising kids. And Carrie was on top of all of them. She, the kids never went to school without everything packed right or their homework. They never didn't get a ride. They never not knew what they, what the next thing was. And Carrie was just an incredible detail person. And so we would kind of happily each, okay, you do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and you do that. And we were just kind of both aware that we both had our roles and, 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 you know, and ultimately, you know, how the girl's doing with the, with the real goal of making sure they both uh, had a lot of self-confidence. That was really big that we were thinking about. They both do, I think, but we were thinking about that when they were young, that they, we wanted them to grow up with a lot of self-confidence and a lot of belief in themselves. And, you know, like I happy to say, I feel like we did a good job mission accomplished. I would say definitely mission accomplished from what I know of both Kelsey and Kylie. So kudos to you. It succeeded. Um, okay. So your kids are growing up. You're, you have your parenting styles kind of down. And unfortunately, you get hit with a very terrible news um, early on into their childhood. I think, Kelsey, you said you were 12 years old when your your mom was first um, got her diagnosis. So now kind of shifting into this new reality, how do you feel like you kind of handled that news when you first received it? And was there any kind of immediate thoughts maybe surrounding the kids or centered around the kids um, that you felt like you had to take into action after receiving this terrible news? Gosh, you guys are good. You ask all the good questions. Um, <laughs> certainly it was a shock. Uh, Carrie woke up ironically on a Valentine's day morning. So not my favorite holiday anymore. Um, just woke up just on the couch in a lot of pain uh, just kind of out of the blue. And we went to an urgent care and they thought maybe it was kidney stones. And then we went to the hospital and they took some, some x-rays and, and the guy pulled the curtain back and, you know, I'll obviously never forget. He told us that she had a a cancerous tumor the size of a melon that had taken over one of her kidneys and was pushing into her pancreas. And he wasn't shy about telling us at the time that he thought we probably had about six months, just, just dropped a, an atomic bomb on us just out of the blue. So, uh, you know, my immediate, you know, I went into, you know, carry mode and I was completely focused on everything about carry and looking back, um, was very fortunate in the immediate uh, the girls were really close with their grandparents. Carrie's parents, Danny and Arlene lived less than five miles away and they were more than incredible grandparents. They were almost parents one a, they, they were the primary babysitters and it was seamless to go back and forth and they were really close to us. So having them be able to us for able to kind of hand them off to, to them was of great comfort. And, you know, that might be another topic for a show one day, but Kelsey and Kylie and Danny and Arlene actually had a, a symbiotic relationship. The girls needed the strength of Danny and Arlene. Danny and Arlene could have collapsed because their daughter suddenly was faced with this, but they also had to take care of the girls. And I just, I'll be honest, I was very single-minded, focused on everything Carrie and what we had to do. And obviously this, you know, she, she lived 12 years past that initial diagnosis. So we did, a, you know, we moved to Stanford and we did a good job of every, the good doctors at Stanford did an amazing job, but we also did a good job of advocating for ourselves as patients and doing all the right things. And, you know, we can certainly get into that as well. But um, yeah, so that was sort of the immediate, 
my focus was, was just what could I do for my, my wife and my love and very fortunate that, uh, you know, could kind of turn it over to the grandparents a bit to help with the, with the kids. Thank you for sharing all of that. I know that it can kind of be tough to talk about, especially with, you know, the whole situation that we're having recorded and talking to each other, but we don't really know each other, but thank you for sharing. Um, and I was wondering, so what approach, well, Kylie and um, Kelsey were with their grandparents. What kind of approach did you guys take to sharing news with them or updates with them? Were there things that you wanted to shield them from? Did you let your, their grandparents kind of take the lead on that? I'm curious how that went. No, that's another really good question. So uh, that evolved, obviously, over 12 years. Um, I was always the one to kind of break the news. I did not leave that to the grandparents. The grandparents were just, you know, make sure they're taken care of and they're doing well. And I, or Carrie and I, I guess I was most of the mouthpiece. I would do most of the updates. And it wasn't that I was trying to hide things or shield things. I was just trying to be age appropriate. Like Kelsey said, she was like 12. Kylie was nine or, you know, 13 and 10. I mean, that they were young. So I, we definitely wanted to keep them, you know, we were very close. I mean, the four of us were as close as little families you could be. And there was like no secrets between the four of us. And I'd like to think there's no secrets between the three of us now that we, we share everything. And so I, I knew we needed to share it so they could understand, but you know, even the word cancer is a scary word. We didn't use it. You know, I called it a tumor or a growth. And, you know, Kelsey explained to me later that it wasn't until she visited mom at the hospital and saw that we were in the cancer center that she had a fuller understanding of what it was because that just wasn't the word we used. It's a hard word to say, actually. It still is. Um, but it was certainly was a hard word at the time. Yeah. I um, I mean, I'll echo that. My own parents definitely couldn't say it to me. And I don't know if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, but um, I also found out and kind of like in my own observation of what was going on around me. Um, so, and there is no manual, definitely no manual for how to tell your kids this news or how to approach it. And so there's never one right way. And I think that that's something that I always try to like say on this podcast, but I will say that I think that the approach that you did have is very respectable. Um, and knowing how close you guys all were continuing to keep that. And especially thinking about maybe even in the future of looking back, how did they handle those moments and kind of respecting that I'm, I'm sure Kelsey, you and Kylie have kind of um, looked back and appreciated the way um, that all of that communication went down, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, it was age appropriate at the time. Like we, like I figured out the cancer word. We had no, absolutely zero inclination on that six month timeline that was given initially. Um, it was very much like, we could tell it was serious, but I don't think we understood at all, like how serious it really, really was. And yeah, we definitely, the leaning on the grandparents, there was a little dynamic of little sister, big sister, I, where Kylie would then kind of come to me for questions and I wouldn't really have answers. And I would just try to keep her calm and some of that. But then I think, and maybe we'll get into this. We did transition as you alluded into a period where it's like, okay, I'm an adult now, like you, I want you to tell me all the details, even if they're horrible details. And I remember after one of the surgeries in the Stanford cafeteria, like, I think it was just you and I, for some reason, dad. And I feel like we had like a more real conversation 
about the severity of things. Um, but when it was age appropriate and when I was in a position to have the understanding and maturity to to hear it. But I think I I didn't need that information at 13 and 10 or 12 and 9, whatever it was. So I definitely agree with the approach. And yeah, it would kind of be dad like telling us the update. Mom, if it like, depending on if it was in person or not, she'd follow up with a fluffy text about how everything's going to be okay. And the doctors were great. And she's all good. And she had a smoothie on the way home, right? It was always like, all okay, with her updates. Um, You guys stopped at your bagel place, you got this right, like you guys had like that routine down. But yeah, you would deliver the harder news. And then yeah, she would always soften it up and be always trying no matter what to like comfort us and be like, Oh, I'm okay. I'm feeling good. It's good. We're on to the next thing. It's fine. Yeah. Shows the again, kind of the compliment also and just the parenting styles, even like with that, with that type of communication as well. So um, thank you again for sharing. And I know, so you mentioned you know, the doctors had told you, I believe it was only just a couple months after you found that out, but then you got 12 more years after that. And so I was kind of curious of like how you kind of handled that timeline of like going in with this expectation maybe of like, is it going to be, and this is a heavy one, like, is it going to be another year? Is it going to be another couple months? Like, how did you kind of approach that with like every kind of session or follow-up or check-in that you would go to? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a, you know, it was, it was a interesting period. We would take it sort of one, you, you just can't look at the, the, the long-term big picture. I, I, I've given advice to other people who have now faced similar situations who have sought me out. Like, how did you guys do this? Um, you just kind of stay focused on the next thing. Okay, the next scan. What did the next scan say? We're, we're getting a scan in six months. Well, right now it's all clear. And then right now we're all clear. And so when's the next scan after that? So you just kind of take it one at a time and you just kind of stay a little bit more present and stay in the moment. And we found that very helpful. Uh, we got some good advice from a doctor at Stanford. So we got past the initial surgery, carry out a ki- uh, kidney removed and uh, you know, she was somewhat stable and what would grow back afterwards on and off was another growth in the cavity where the kidney was removed, something would grow back. And, and so we'd go a period where there'd be nothing. And so, and then something would grow and then we'd figure out what the treatment would be. Would it be a surgery or a radiation or an infusion, a drug therapy, whatever it would be. But the doctor gave us good advice. He said, um, you're going to have downtimes. But in between those times, try to live your life as normal as possible. And I think Carrie and I did a good job of that. So we would have down times and there'd be hard times. And those moments like you just described when you're in the room and you're waiting to get the results of the latest scan. I can't tell you what those times were like. We'd just be the two of us in the room and just be quiet, squeezing each other's hand as hard as we could. And sometimes the news was good and sometimes it wasn't so good. And we just would deal with the next one. But in between... Uh, Carrie would say to the doctors, am I good? We're going to the desert. Can I go in the pool? And they're like, well, yeah. And we're like, okay, well, we're going here. And the kids have a volleyball tournament and we're going to take a big family thing to Hawaii. And we just did the next thing. And, uh, and Carrie did not want to be seen as a cancer patient. Uh, we used to have a saying in our, if, if you saw Carrie and you didn't know, you wouldn't know. 
It wasn't a big topic of conversation. She didn't want to talk about it with a lot of people. She had a core group of people that she talked to about, but not, it wasn't the usual conversation. It was just live your life, get the most out of life. And we did. And speaking of that, did you ever feel like when you weren't able to tell or other people weren't able to tell, like physically, how did you kind of handle that? Because I know I, I, I would imagine that's kind of like an internal battle. Like you're, you know, you're dealing with it on the inside, but maybe others don't, or even like sharing the news with people that maybe aren't as close to your family that wouldn't know. Um, did you ever kind of struggle with that of like, you wouldn't know if you didn't know? Um, I guess, I mean, Carrie and I were really close and just to look in each other's eye, somebody might say something that was awkward or wrong, but they didn't know. But we just look at each other and just the look to each other just calmed us both down. And that was, again, something else I, I, I miss greatly is I'll never have that again with somebody else where just a look like that. You just knew what the other one was thinking and we could just kind of comfort each other. Um, but in the big picture, that was what was important. Uh, us and the girls were what was important. And somebody saying something different or awkward, it, we, we'd, let it, we'd let it slide off. There were, there were bigger fish to fry. Um, speaking of bigger fish to fry, um, you mentioned earlier that Carrie knew all the details on how to be a great parent um, and that when she got sick, you were able to activate your Carrie powers. I'm curious um, if you were able to activate your Carrie powers when you were dealing with her passing um, and you know, when you have to, having to deal with the immediate things and with the kids and how you're going to help them and help yourself and kind of what that process was like for you and if you were able to activate any Carrie that you had in you. Um, it's interesting. It's uh, different then because the girls weren't kids anymore. They were now adults. Um, and actually, if anybody activated their inner carry, it was Kelsey. Um, when it came time to do the service, I was in a bit of a fog, to be quite honest. And it, Kelsey, it was very important to her to make sure that the service was just right. She wanted the details just right. And you could hear echoes of Carrie if she was planning something like that. She'd want the details to be just right. And it was actually Kelsey who stepped up and made it a beautiful ceremony. I've had people come up and they're like, I know this is awkward, but that was the most beautiful service I ever saw. Um, and the, Kelsey was the producer of that by, you know, hundred percent. So if anyone channeled the, the inner carry for that, that was Kelsey. Well, I'm sure it was still beautiful to see a part of herself living on, especially through your daughter. And in that moment, I'm sure super, super meaningful. And I know that also in terms of Kelsey's own grief journey, that could have been a great coping mechanism for her to really dive into action and have something to plan and do. She's a producer herself in her career. So it's something that it comes very natural to her. And I'm sure was something that um, she wanted to really, really own and be a part of and help helpful in her own grief journey. So I know, um, I, I think it's been help. I think you would say it was helpful for you too, right, Kels? Yes, definitely. That was my coping mechanism. The the logistics, it was something to narrow down on in my strengths of work and automatic. And it was like, my sister had to be focused on school, as I know we've talked about before, like she was about to go to grad school. And so that needed to be her focus. And I mean, dad, you obviously handled though, like 
we did have some higher up logistics that you led the charge on with like the funeral house and documentation and some of that stuff. But yeah, like, and rightfully so you were in a fog. I think you were, you know, at, at the end and with all of the heavy and horrible medical stuff, like you were, you were so exhausted. And so, I mean, it was just in my nature and it was a coping mechanism for me and it gave me something to do and fixate on. And it brought me like it felt like it was a productive way to to channel it. Yeah. Um, and then I was going to say in the kind of immediate aftermath and that fog that you're talking about, we kind of always reference, I think even from our first episode, our rings of support. And so if you're kind of focused on, you know, your inner ring is probably Kelsey and Kylie. And who would you say was your outer ring kind of where you were the focus and who was supporting you in kind of those immediate moments after? Um, I've had a, a best friend. Uh, since I was 13, uh, who's been there for me in, in uh, more ways than I can count. And uh, he was uh, was and is, in many respects, still somebody I lean on and depend on. And he's gotten me through the, you know many a tough times in life. And he was the one that gave me the advice to go ask Carrie for lunch uh, for us to get back together again. So that tells you the significance of him in my life. He, I love my best friend, Andy. And he, he was definitely that person for me. He got us breakfast burritos that next morning. Like literally he was right there getting us the breakfast burritos. So yeah, he didn't he say something about like, where did you send me to or something like that? Because it was like, uh, like a weird location or something. Yeah, great memory, Kath. I forgot I shared that. Yeah, we sent we sent him we just had we have this like favorite breakfast burrito place. We don't get it often. And obviously, we're not really thinking we didn't really prepare him. But it's in like, a little tougher part of town. And I don't know, he's like lives in Lake Tahoe. And he's probably like, where the heck did you send me? <laughs> but like, just like the ability to like really show up and he just wanted to do something and make us all laugh. And he, the biggest thing though, is he has, we've been able to see my sister and I, how much he's been there for my dad throughout this whole thing. So I know he was, has been your number one support. And you have of course, other friends and family too, but he's your kind of rock. For sure. For sure. I have other friends and my, I'm very close with my brother and, and, and broader family and whatnot that was there as well. And it was also during, I, I started therapy pretty early on as well. I had a grief counselor therapist that actually came recommended from uh, Carrie's last oncologist. Um, she had been a cancer nurse before she became a therapist. So when I was dealing with the initial trauma of, of, Carrie's death and everything that went into the end. And even sort of what hit me was my journey as a caregiver for 12 years that I hadn't really thought about or addressed and what toll that took on me. Um, she spoke my language. And so it was uh, really, really great having her. Um, our discussions are far beyond those early days now, but certainly initially you're asking about initially and and how I did, uh, you know, she was a, a, a big help during that time as well. Did you, you know, you mentioned that you had to be the caretaker and not had to be, but you were the caretaker and you spent a lot of time focusing on Carrie and then the girls. What, did you have anything that you would do that comes to mind for you? Like whether it was like some kind of self-care activity that you took, if you, if and when you would have taken time for yourself. 
Um, you know, like I said, there was periods during the time where we, like I said, we focused on normal things like, okay, we have downtimes when we're doing the caregiving or when she's going through treatment and I'm, I'm caregiving, but in between, you know, they were, you know, try to live things normal, you know, for Carrie and I, the focus of our whole lives were, were, was our family and the girls. And so we, you know, that was what made us happy. So whether it was traveling around the state for club volleyball or going to school events or watching them grow, that was a big part. Obviously I was a sports caster, so I'm a big sports fan. So I guess my outlet was going to games, Giants and Warriors and 49ers. Um, I played some average golf, but I liked playing golf <laughs> with some buddies. And we had our guys trips every year that would be fun that we would we would do and we would play. But the family, the broader family, Carrie's extended family, they became my family too. And we do a lot of vacations together. And, you know, so that was, everything else was normal. But certainly when we had down times, it was tough. And obviously at the end, you know, it was, you know, it took its toll. And I, I was going to say, you mentioned therapy kind of moving, like reflecting back your sessions today are obviously a lot different than kind of maybe those immediate aftermath. I'm actually super curious about your journey with therapy and if you felt like if you were ever against it before or you maybe thought like, oh, there's no need for me to go to therapy and this is an instance where, okay, now I need to go. I'm just curious because there are maybe some stigmas and I don't mean to generalize here, but sometimes like I know with my parents, it was hard to kind of, um, when I said like I wanted to go to therapy, that was like a hard uh, conversation to have just because they didn't feel like that they understood it. Um, and specifically my mom. Um, so I was just curious if that was ever like there was any sort of stigma there that you had to kind of overcome. Um, interesting question. I think like a lot of people, there probably is some stigma, but I was certainly in a place when Carrie passed that I knew I needed help. I was, you know, I don't have to explain the trauma of losing, you know, my my love of my life. So that was the initiation. But I will say that I went into it initially thinking it was short term. I went in thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to see sort of like a doctor to help me fix this. And then learned, uh, you know, it's just been a wonderful journey. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it didn't turn out to be short term, I thought it was gonna be six months or a year tops. And now it's two and a half years. And it's, it's a really healthy really positive part of my life and my journey. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to think by and large, you know, I'm doing pretty well. And, and that's certainly a part of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We're, we're very, I'm sure you've, you said you've listened, we're very pro therapy. Um, but it's interesting. I really appreciate your um, perspective and hearing it because like, like Kathy said, not to generalize, but I don't typically hear men. I mean, my dad, he listens and he would not probably be mad at me at saying he's like, I'm not going to go. Like, I don't like, it's all good. Like, it's just funny because it's supporting everybody else doing it. But like, maybe that's not for me. Um, so I respect and appreciate that you not only go, but feel comfortable to share it. Um, a lot of people go to therapy when they're kind of dealing with a loss or dealing with a change. Um, and that being said, I was curious if you had, um, have you experienced loss before? Obviously not as astronomical as, as I can imagine losing the love of your life is like nuclear and, and absolutely heart wrenching. Um, but when have you experienced something that was the level down from that? Like maybe like any other kind of like gut wrenching grief or is this kind of your first go around? Um, I, I can't say 
that there was a, a death or a grief that, no, I mean, there's, there was nothing that affected me like this. You know, I'm a child of divorce. So, I mean, that certainly affected me. And I guess that's a grief and a loss in a, in a different kind of way. But that certainly affected me when I was in my teens and, and, and through the years. But no, Carrie's was, was unique, obviously. You know, there's, yeah, there's no way to, you lose the love of your life, you lose your best friends, you lose the most incredible mother to your children. And that's a big hole that, that it leaves. And, uh, you know, you just do your best to, to keep going and carrying on. And what had, do you think has like maybe surprised you the most throughout this grief journey? Um, it's funny at the beginning, uh, like I said, I thought therapy would be short-lived. I thought I would sell the house. And I also had a little, like, I guess I can't be alone. So what am I going to do? Do I start dating? What do I do? And none of that is the case. Obviously, I've continued on in therapy. I, I take comfort in being in the house. So I'm really glad I didn't sell it. And I, at, to this point, I have zero interest in, <laughs> in dating and I'm, not looking for anything like that. Or, I mean, theoretically, I guess I'm open if organically I met somebody somewhere down the road, but, uh, I am, I have no interest in that at all either. So it's a lot of the gut instincts that I sort of felt at the beginning. I'm glad I gave it time, uh, because now I feel quite differently than I did at the beginning. We, um, we recently talked about the stages of grief in the last couple episodes of the podcast. And I'm kind of curious if not then when you were in the midst of it, not that you're not now, but you know, it's, it's constant, but when it was really fresh, um, if you noticed looking back on it at times that you kind of were going through the stages of, like you said, the blur or, um, Kathy and I both really relate to, we both had this like blackout period. So did you notice any like physical either feelings of grief or the, and, or the steps going through periods of that? Um, you know, I talk about, like you said, being foggy about the whole thing and then, uh, kind of time passed and it kind of hit me in a different kind of a way. And uh, there was a period of anger, um, not at Carrie, of course, just at the situation of the fact that my, my wife died. And, you know, and so I had a, a period of that and it was helpful to be able to, to talk that, talk that through in therapy. And, and so I, I suppose there were, there were stages, but um, you know, it was funny as Kelsey was kind of texting me, uh, the general topics that we might be touching on today. And she mentioned three years later and in June, it will be three years. And that kind of jumped out at me. It's like, it's hard for me to believe it's three years or almost, we're not quite there yet, but just that was of all the things on her text. That's the thing that jumped out at me. I was like, God, is it three years? It, part of it doesn't feel like three years. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question about the stages, but that's kind of, I get where I've been. No, I felt the same way writing it too, because I've been on the two and a half and it's like, we're kind of there, but it's slowly crossing up to three. And I felt the same way. Like, how is that possible? Like I've shared here, like with COVID too, like everyone's timing of the last few years is a little warped and then throw this on it. It's very warped and it just feels like, like three years feels impossible. And so like I, dad, just uh, me typing it, I felt, I felt the same way, just calling that out. And so, so we've covered a lot about um, your grief journey and kind of, you know, those initial feelings, therapy, your journey throughout all of these years. Is there anything that you kind of felt through 
seeing Kelsey and Kylie deal with grief that kind of surprised you? Or were there any moments where you were like, I wish I could do this for them and I can't or anything that you could share or wanted to share about witnessing them going through grief? Uh, interesting. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things that came out of it, and I, I, I've, said, I've shared it with them, um, is that as, as somebody who has dedicated his, his adult life to being a good family man, to being trying to be a good husband and a good father, uh, when I was in a bit of that early trauma of the whole grief thing, it was interesting that my daughters in many ways were, were doing more to take care of me than I was doing to take care of them. They were really concerned about me and making sure I was going to be okay. And I was going to be set up at the house and Kelsey set up a house cleaner to come to the house and just different things that they were just making sure I was okay. And they were checking on me. You know, I'm happy to say that, you know, I, I've kind of come out of those early times and it's more, I don't want to say they're adults now, so they don't need me in the same way that they needed me before. But I'd like to think that, you know, I got my dad hat back on and, 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 and we're, you know, we're there for each other mutually. But I would think that that was sort of the thing that jumped out at me, how quickly they were trying to make sure I was okay. You kind of touched on it, but with the close, how close you guys were as a foursome and now are with the three of you. Um, how, so how has your relationship changed from not then right after when they were taking care of you to now? Like, are you, like you said, you're kind of on the equal level playing field now. Do you feel like you still have to like ever pull out the, like the dad card? Yes, uh, I definitely do. <laughs> I mean, uh, even talking to my therapist, she said, when you came here and I asked you like, what's your main thing? It's like, I want to make sure I'm still there for the girls. That was sort of my motivation is to make sure I was whole and right and to be there for the girls. And they, you know, they call and they contemplate career this or job that or romance this, romance that. They're still, you know, and, and, and you know, finance this. So it's, it's all great there. I, I use the term and I tell people this a lot, that we are metaphorically holding hands. The three of us talk or text virtually every day. Obviously, Kelsey and Kylie are roommates right now, but we all are connected and uh, everybody's grief is their grief. And I'm not trying to say anyone's is more or less than anybody else's, but the three of us share a certain closeness. I mean, the four of us couldn't have been closer and now the three of us couldn't have been closer and only the the three of us a hundred percent get that, if that makes sense. And uh, so we, we, we definitely, I think, still share all that. Yeah. I, I mean, unbreakable bond at this point. And speaking of that and kind of everything that you've been through, you had mentioned earlier about going into those appointments and advice that you give other people of, you know, you have to take it one step at a time. You have to enjoy what the news is you get that day. If it's great news, live in that, um, and live in that moment. Is there any other pieces of advice that you feel like going through this loss and through your relationship with your daughters that you would give to others that are in a similar situation? Oh, boy, there's a lot. Um, as far, like, like I mentioned, in, in, you know, someone's going through an illness to make sure you're living in the moment and not getting too far ahead of yourself. I think that's really important just to kind of, okay, this is the scan. This is what we have to do next. And just staying in the moment and, and again, living your life in between. Um, one thing I've kind of learned or discovered, you know, I was didn't know how it was going to play out um, about, like, say, being in the house alone or, or, you know, not being one of two anymore 
is that I, there's a big difference between being alone and being lonely. And there's times when I'm lonely, certainly, but most of the time I'm very comfortable being alone. And I think people should know that you can be comfortable being alone. I enjoy my own company and I, I don't feel, you know, obviously I couldn't miss my wife more, but it doesn't mean that I'm just desperately grasping because I have to have somebody else in the room with me. Now I do have, I do have a dog and my, my dog, Charlie is a great comfort to me for sure. And I, I, obviously he's filling some of that void, I guess, in a way, but just the idea that you can be comfortable in your own skin. Uh, and I think that, that give that a little time. Um, people always say, give it time. Like I don't miss Carrie one inch less today than I did when she died. That part doesn't change over time, but being able to be comfortable in your own skin, I think give that time. I think you'll, you'll find your place that way. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's, I feel so happy to be part, of, be part of this conversation with you. Kelsey, is there anything that you wanted to ask your dad or talk to your dad about that we haven't hit yet? I don't have anything top of mind. I think you guys did an amazing job asking the questions. You're very thorough. There were some questions that I was like listening to because I don't know if I've ever heard anyone like present them to you in that way. Um, but just if we're talking, I will add this, that if we're talking about the layers of grief and the roles of grief, the person who gets asked about the most if they're doing okay is dad. Like, of course, people check in on Kylie and I, of course, people check in on our sisters, but it's like, it impacted his day to day life more than anyone else's day to day life, because we were no longer living in the house and everything like that. And they were just such a partnership and a part of every little thing together. So I do just want to give him so much credit, because I think so many people were like, terrified you were going to fall apart and collapse. And like, of course you went through, you know, your adjustment period and we got you with the air fryer and the house cleaner and all those <laughs> types air of things. Fryer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cooking, the cooking is not my dad or I's specialty. That was always Kylie and my mom. So like air fryer felt a little dummy proof. Um, but I think everyone has been just really like amazed and proud of how well you have adjusted again, not to say we don't miss her every second all the time and think about her, but just want to call that out that like, cause Kylie and I will get that a lot. It's like, Oh, how's your dad doing? Like, it's going to be this big, like you said, but it's like, he's, he's doing well. And so I just want to close out with, with that sentiment too. Well, we also, before we close out, we have some rapid fire fun questions that we definitely want to end on and can't, can't not ask. So my first one is, unfortunately, I fall into the category of probably every enemy sports team uh, of yours, but I would want to ask, what is your favorite all time sports team? Wow. That's a hard one. I guess uh, I, I'm, I've become a humongous fan of all the Bay Area teams. So whatever season is going, that's my team. But the fact that my daughter works for the San Francisco Giants, I would have I would be remiss if I didn't put the San Francisco Giants at the top of the list. My dad thinks that Kelsey is my coolest friend because she works for them. She's always like, how's, that? how's our baseball friend? And I'm like, oh, our baseball friend, dad. And he's like, yeah, Kelsey's your coolest friend. I was like, I um, So he'll respect that answer, of course. Um, okay, another rapid fire. What's your favorite movie? Wow. Well, the first one that jumps into my head is Shawshank Redemption. 
So that was, I guess, that's high up on the list. Um, I liked Apollo 13 was a big one. I like a lot of the Tom Hanks films, so that would would be high up there. Um, Speaking of space, I liked The Martian with Matt Damon was in there. Ooh, that's a great one. Um, So those are a couple that jump out, I suppose. Okay, favorite (laughs) place you've traveled to. Is that Charlie? Yes, it is. Hi, Charlie. I don't know what just drove by, but something got him excited out there. Wait, hold on one second. Charlie, it's okay, bud. It's okay. They're allowed to be out there. It's okay. He's got his hair up. He's got his hair up. He's got his little stuffed tiger in his mouth. He's all excited. It's okay. You're okay, bud. I'll be out there. All right. I'm sorry. Favorite place you traveled to? I love, we go to Hawaii and that's, you know, I know it sounds pretty simple, but you never not have a good time in Hawaii. Um, I just love it. Just love it there. I just got back from Hawaii on Sunday. So I, I can echo that. It's just the best. Um, okay. I was going to ask you your favorite meal, but now I want to know your favorite meal that you can cook potentially in the air fryer. <laughs> um, I, I grill <laughs> salmon on the barbecue and then air fry my vegetables. Oh, that's kind of how I did it. So Kelsey kind of showed me how to season vegetables and Kylie kind of helped (laughs) me with how to season the salmon for the grill. And so that's, I guess, my favorite meal I cook. And I'm, I'm so funny that I was, I'm so proud of myself because I never cooked at all when Carrie was alive. I really didn't. So now when I do, I'll take a picture and send it to the girls. (laughs) Well, you know, my sister just sent me an incredible um, air fried steak tip recipe that we made when we were in Hawaii. So I'll have to mm. forward that to Kelsey for oh, you. She please said I do. could even handle please that do. one. Please do. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. And then you also mentioned you listened to the podcast. We we really appreciate your support. Um, I don't know how many episodes you've listened to, but do you have a favorite episode or anyone that has kind of stuck out to you that has been memorable? Oh, that's, you know, I, I hate to do this. When Kylie was a guest, I, yeah. I probably listened to it three <laughs> times. I just thought she Aww. was so great and I was so proud of her and I thought she was so well-spoken. And I even learned a little here and there, some things that the girls were going through when they were younger that maybe I wasn't totally plugged into at the time because I would maybe I was so focused on Carrie. So, uh, you know, I'll just have to say Kylie's episode when she was a guest. You know, she was our most listened to episode last year. And now I think I know why. It's because you listened to it three times. <laughs> I did. I listened to it a number of times. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay. And then we love to end on our – we heard that I think that you're a Swifty as well. And we like to end on our top three to five Taylor songs that you can name off the top of your head that you really enjoy as a Swifty. Wow. Okay, good. Well, I think Kelsey may, I don't know if she shared with you, I'm into the album Folklore right now. That's my okay. my big album. So, you know, so the one, Invisible String, um, those are both real favorites. My Cardigan is a favorite of mine. And then <laughs> uh, other songs, I like Delicate. And then I, Ooh, I, also, okay. I also think you need to calm down. I always, I always <laughs> find that song amusing. It's 7 a.m., yeah, I just. I find <laughs> I'm so impressed with you. I find me it, too. Yeah, very <laughs> My dad Google's on um, Spotify when he wants to hear his favorite. He Google's Taylor Swift 10 minutes, and that's how he finds his favorite one. So I'm impressed. <laughs> the, the girls come home, and we and I put on my Apple Music 
Taylor Swift essentials. And so we started listening to where we're driving or just sitting around and we're listening to the songs. And I kept saying, oh, I like that song. And the girls kept saying, you keep saying the folklore songs. You should listen to the whole album. And so that's when I said, okay, that's sort of my Taylor Swift album choice right now. And then what did you think? What did you think of the Eras tour movie? Because I will bring it back that it was a Christmas present from him that got Kylie and I to the first Eras tour show that we went to and the first Eras tour show ever. And then we watched the Eras movie with him when we were all home together. And I want you to end on your also experience with watching that. It was an amazing show. It was very funny because when I found out it's like three and a half hours, I said, well, are we going to watch it in two parts? And Kelsey was like, if she can do a whole show in three and a half hours, you could sit and watch it. Though, for <laughs> but, uh, we did watch it all the way through. It was an incredible, incredible show. And I had the benefit of having a running commentary. So Kelsey was able to explain like what each album meant, which each era meant, what the costume changes meant. And, you know, obviously she was, her performance is incredible. She's not this successful by accident. You know, she's really that amazing. And, uh, but I did have the benefit of sort of having the director's cut running commentary with me as I was watching. <laughs> the director's Highly cut. Too, of course. Highly well, too, you know, of course. Highly too, of course. So she just announced that she's releasing it again with four new songs. So you're going to oh. have to sit back down in school again. Right. <laughs> Another three and a half hours. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I just wanted to start to wrapping up by just thanking you so, so, so much for being here, for sharing. I've been for the most part, unless we were talking about the sad times, I've been smiling the entire time. My face hurts. Um, I texted the girls and I was like, he's a legend. Like you're so, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Um, I was so grateful to hear from you. You're so well-spoken. Um, and it's been a truly an honor to be talking to you right now and tonight. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mads. I appreciate that. I just want to echo that as well. And it's no surprise where Kelsey gets all of her um, manners and demeanors and just eloquent speech as well. It, um, just rings so true, especially knowing getting to know you today and just want to thank you so much for opening up. I know it's a vulnerable topic. Not a lot of people do want to share. And so we just really, really appreciate it. And I'll leave it to you for any closing remarks or anything you kind of want to get out um, before we wrap up. No, I mean, Kathy, I thank you guys. I just want to say about your guys' show. It really is incredible. I mean, I think, Kathy, you shared at the beginning that when your father passed, you didn't really have an outlet for your grief, which was one of your motivations to start this. And you guys are amazing. You really have done a terrific job. And I think the chemistry between the three of you is really great. And, uh, you know, you do a wonderful job and this is a great thing that you're doing. So anyway, uh, hats off to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. And I can close this out as always. I completely echo everything that's been said and so appreciative of you and your time and being so open. And I do think you'll be able to help other people who are listening. Like we reach more people on this podcast than we realize. And your perspective is not one we've had yet on the podcast. So really impactful. Um, As always, if you've listened this long, please subscribe, follow, email, send messages, send it to a friend. It really makes a difference. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you.